Welcome to this sermon from Silver Lake Baptist Church. Our mission is to celebrate the greatness of God with all we are for the joy, hope, and renewal of our community. We are so glad you have chosen to listen to our message. We pray you will be blessed by your time with us today. Good morning. morning. How you guys doing? It's good to be here this morning. I'm so thankful for y'all. I'm so thankful for sunshine. (laughs) Right? Not just like this sunshine, but that the sun of God shines on us too. And so so that's good news too. But I'll take this any day. So, except when we need rain. Thank you for rain too. (laughs) Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for your love and your goodness and your kindness. And I just give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, um, coming off of last week, man, Passover week and Easter and all the stuff that was going on with it, I think we ended up doing four Passover seders and I preached five messages in a week. And so, I going through it, it was weird because I was like, I got like all this strength. Like I felt literally like I was getting stronger as the week goes on. And so that's not how it's supposed to be, right? And and so then I get to end on Easter with preaching and it's like like I could feel the Holy Spirit and just feel Jesus with me. And I was like, yes, thank you, Father. I just thank you for your strength and your power. And I was just like, so cool. And then I got up Monday morning. <laughs> and it was like all of all of that just hit me at once, right? And so I got like horses to shoe and stuff to do and and I'm going to hit the ground running and I was like, "Father, it'd be nice if I could just get a little bit of a break today." And so I go out and I got to turn my truck on and yeah. I was like, "Okay, what does year mean?" <laughs> And so I have no idea. I'm not a mechanic, so I call a friend to come help me, and we take the battery, and I'm going to get anybody. Nothing's wrong with the battery, so it ends up being the starter, and someone comes and helps me, and I'm like, this is not my ideal of a day off working on my truck, (laughs) right? And so just what I needed, because now I'm behind, you know, so I ended up being behind two days. Someone um, actually come and rescued me, and I'm really thankful for that, but... um, I was thinking about it, and and a lot of times we're like, when bad things happen to us, the first person we blame is, is the devil. Well, the devil did it, or the or Satan done it, or the enemy did this to me, and and we blame everything on him, and that's one of the things that gets under my skin a little bit is because I think we hyper. Uh, um, inflate him when there's a lot of things that we do to ourselves, right? And, and so, so I'm not walking, you know, paying attention, going in the grocery store, and the slider's broken because we're used to it open. And I run into it and go, bam! That darn devil! How dare him do that to me? You know what I mean? Or I know this horse is not ready. Right? The horse ain't ready to get on, and I crawl on it anyway, and the next thing you know, I'm like a yard dart flying over, landing on my head. And I hit the ground, and I'm like, you know what? That darn devil, he's so rotten, look what he did. 
And I think there's so much of the time that we forget that we can take responsibility in our life for certain outcomes. And I think that we can get into a culture as believers in, in Jesus where we blame everything on the devil instead of taking responsibility sometimes for our own choices. You guys hear what I'm saying? And so I was studying it, and Linda actually sent me a video and this guy was talking about about Satan and how a lot of times people think that Satan's like this, you know, horned creature, you know, and he's going around. He is evil. I mean, I'm sure he's not pretty, right? But when he comes and he tempts us, it's usually not as, hey, this is going to kill you. This is going to wipe you out. Come bite the apple, right? Kind of like Snow White. Right? It, it was uh, the evil stepmother gave her an apple. Who are you going to take an apple from, right? If I know you're a witch and I know you're evil and you come to me, I am not going to take an apple from you. I probably won't take an apple from you anyway because I'd rather have a candy bar. <laughs> Although I can't have one right now. But I mean, who in the world was going to take that? You know, the devil shows up, here's an apple, boy. You know, take this. Like, I don't think so. Right? And so um, I learned a long time ago, don't take even candy from strangers, especially when they have horns and a, and a forked tail and a, you know what I mean? And, and so but he doesn't always come to us like that. He, a lot of times he comes to us as something that's really good. If you do this, if you do that, uh, you get this and you get that. And and entices us because he's a liar. And you know what? He's not always a complete liar. Because sometimes he'll use partial truths, and those partial truths are half a liar. It's like drinking poison. You know, if you, you take a glass of water, and it's halfway full of water, and then you pour half of it, or even a little bit of strychnine into it, it's still going to kill you, right? And so he, he's smart that way and so he knows how how to to manipulate and he knows how how to get around but he's defeated and so this is what probably bugs me more than anything is because i think we're giving him credit for stuff he doesn't do and he's like yeah i'll take it because it's almost like it's praise in reverse when we say, well, the devil did this, and you've got uh, the enemy's powerful here and doing this here and doing that there. And I'm thinking, you know something? Yeah, the enemy does have power, but he does not have any authority anymore because Jesus stripped him from it. And it's almost like we're saying, you know something? The devil's so bad. He's so rotten. He's so... And the devil's like, yes, I am. Look at what I'm doing. And it, to me, it's like, I'm not giving him that. Because it's almost like, like when we praise God. And sometimes it's almost like we're going through stages in our life where we're, it's almost like where we're giving the devil so much credit. It's like, where did, where'd God go? Right? And I don't ever want to be in that boat. And I don't ever want to go down that road because I want to give God the credit for who he is. And here's the thing. When we're riding horses, one of the things I teach people is look where you want to go. Now, why do I tell them to look where they want to go? Because it positions your body to open doors for the horse, and the horse can feel it. So if you're looking at the horse's head, guess where you're going? 
wherever the horse wants to go or over the horse's head, right? When he stops, because like, or you're so froze up, you're not breathing, and then you pass out because you're scared to death, right? I actually, I actually have to teach people sometimes how to breathe when they haven't rode a horse before. They get on the horse, and I'm like, they're going to pass out. I was like, whoa, whoa, stop. We can breathe. Let's go. In your nose and out your mouth. And I was like, I just watched a video and learned that. I didn't even know what I'm doing on that. But I can teach them the horse stuff. I can't teach them the breathing. But I was like, how do you have to practice breathing like we're born doing it? You're doing it now. But anyway, we lock up. But when we're looking, we look over here. When we look over here, it turns our body on the horse. And it actually weights this hip here. And then that horse can feel that and he'll go and you don't have to steer him as much. And so it makes a difference on where you're going and how you're going and how you're getting around things. So what we're looking at is what we're driving towards. My car does the same thing. Right? You ever say, man, look at that horse over there. <laughs> Next thing you know, I'm pulling in the driveway and trying to take it home. And then Linda's like taking it back. Right? Or, or, man, look. Look at that. Look at this. There's the sail right there. Boom. There's the sign. Right? And I ran right into it. Right? Because I go, we go where we're looking at. And if we're always living in fear of the enemy and what he's doing and we're always focused on him, we're going to live a life not in peace, but a life in really what we're doing is we're worshiping. The, the enemy, and we don't even realize we're doing it. Do you hear what I'm talking about? And so in, in my life, it's one of those things that, that um, man, I used to blame him for everything. And most of the time, he had nothing to do with it, right? And so now we are in a spiritual battle. The Bible says that we war not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. So there's a balance here. Do you guys hear what I'm saying? I'm not saying we totally dismiss it. We do pray, right? But we don't pray for victory. We pray from a place of victory, right? So I was going to go through Genesis this morning, and the Holy Spirit was like really convicting me to, to bring this up. It was like, like it was really strong, and because and it bugged me so much because I was listening to this guy talking about about the enemy and he goes to 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 or Satan and and um, how he comes as this light and then he goes to Genesis and he's talking about Genesis and how where the enemy was in Genesis and then he goes to Revelation and talks about Revelation but we'll have victory in Revelation I'm thinking time out time out you skipped like the whole books. You skipped 64 books. Right? There's 64 books in between Genesis and Revelation that are talking about and revealing Jesus and who he is and what he done. Right? Which is all about how Jesus has set us free. And that's good news. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so Linda sent me the video and I listened to it and she listened and I was like, you know, there's some really good chicken in there. But it's like a lot of feathers got mixed up in it because they missed the whole point because Jesus 
came and, and did a finished work. We're just coming off of Easter Sunday, right? I was just listening to Uptown Funk driving up here, right? Do, 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 do. I can't sing or you guys would fire me, but I can, I can do, you know? And so here it is, and it goes, don't believe me, just watch. And I think that's what was happening. When Jesus died at the cross, on the cross, he, the Bible says that he went to hell and stole the keys. But, but the enemy is like, why? Look, telling all those people around, look, he's not really the Messiah. Look, he's crucified. He's done. He, he didn't make it. And Jesus, once he, he, he's crucified and gives up his life, he's like going right down there. And he's like just sitting there like tapping his head. So, do, 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 do. Don't believe me? Just watch, man. And he made a spectacle of him, triumphing over him and defeating him and bringing back what God had given us, the authority that, that was given away, stolen from him, to Adam, right? That's good news, right? That's great news. That's something. Now, here's the thing. Does the enemy have power? Yes. Does he have authority? No. Not over us as believers. We have authority. The Bible says that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. And then God says this. He says, everywhere the sole of your footsteps I've given to you. Do you know what he's saying? I, it's yours. I redeemed it. I bought it back. But sometimes we got to take it. Right? So the children of Israel, they're walking through. Um, you know, they get, get free uh, of um, Pharaoh. Right? You know, they probably had some fears of him still. Like, he drowned. Right? But in their mind... You could see the slave mentality because when God sent the spies into the promised land, they looked and they, they, they're like two of them said, let's go, boys. This is great. Look what God's given us. Right. But there there was 10 or eight of them, 10 was there 10 spies, eight, eight spies that said, no, we can't do it. We ain't going to make it. We can't get get in there. Right. And so what happened? They end up marching around. Because they didn't believe. And they march around because they didn't believe. And they march around for 40 years. And even in those 40 years, God provided and took care of them. Because the Bible says their shoes didn't wear out. Their clothes didn't wear out. Right? For 40 years. Like, I'm only 29, so I haven't been around 40 years. (laughs) But for 29 years, I think if I was wearing clothes, they'd wear out. Like, I got to buy new boots every six months, you know. Especially if I'm wearing them riding horses, right? And so here they are. They're marching around, marching around. They're seeing God's miracles and they've seen God's provision. But they weren't able to do it because they had this slave mentality. And that's what I worry about the church sometimes today is because you, um, not this church, but, but the, the church in general is because sometimes we get so focused on the enemy and when we do that, what we're doing is we're focusing on 
Pharaoh. We're focusing on our slavery. We're focusing on where we have been and what we have done instead of focusing on the freedom that God gave us, the miracles that we've seen, that he bought us and brought us out by the blood of the Lamb. And that we're set free. And that we have hope and that we have purpose and that we have a calling to redeem, right? And so everywhere the step, sole of our footsteps, he gives us, right? Well, one day, all the folks that, that had the slave mentality died, so their kids come on, right? And they're like, wait a second, we're just market, what, marking in, what, marching in a circle, walking in a circle. I can't talk. We're just marching in a circle, right? Walking around. Round and round and round. It's like, you know what? I'll face a giant if I just don't have to go in another stinking circle. <laughs> right? I do that. Ever ride a merry-go-round? My kids were little. If it wasn't the merry-go-round, it was the slide. One more time. Can we go one more time? It does not mean one more time. <laughs> right? It means we're going to do it one more time until you make us go home, right? And pretty soon we're like, you know what? I don't care what happens. I don't care if you get mad at me and cry or whatever. We're going home, right? Because I can't do it one more time, right? I'm going to the promised land, and I'm going to sit in my chair, and I'm going to pop my feet up and watch the Oklahoma Sooners beat the Texas Longhorns. (laughs) We've had our fun, right? So, so here they are, they're marching, marching, marching. And then they, they're like, yeah, we're more than able to do it. So what do they do? They go in and they take the land. Well, when was that land theirs? Was it when they marched in and took it? Was it when the walls of Jericho fell? Was it when God opened the water of the Jordan and they all walked across on dry land again? When, when was it theirs? It was theirs when God told them it was theirs. They could have had it 40 years earlier, but they were so stuck in living in Egypt in their mind, so stuck in where they had been, they didn't realize that God was bringing them into this nice, abundant place, and all they had to do was believe him and step into it. What has God told us? What has God put on our hearts? What has he said to, said to, to us? What has he said to you? What has he said to me? Man, I want to I trust him. Like Abram, right? When God said, I want you to go to a land you don't know. Okay, saddles up and takes off. Man's got his posse with him. Right? I want to be like that. Not like, I don't know, those giants are really big. Yeah, they're big. So what? David saw a giant, and he said, you come at me with the sword and a spear, but I will come at you with, with, the, with the name of the Lord, right? Our God. Man, that's good news. And you know what that giant did? He said, fee fi fo fum I smell the blood of a Hebrew kid. <laughs> and so David planted a bean, and it shot up. 
I think I got the wrong story. Right? Not, not, that's not in the Bible. That's not in the Bible. Now, part of it, right? So, right, he's, he's like, who are you to defile us? Right? I'm coming against you in the name of the Lord God of Israel, and I'm going to take your head this day. Sometimes those things that we fear are the very things that are going to bring us the harvest and the victory we need in our life. And I was like, man, I don't want no giants. Well, you know what? David knew God, and he knew his father, and he had practice, man. He had, he had been like Moses, right? He had been a nobody. And he was out there, and he, he, he was uh, fighting, you know, lions and bears, keeping the sheep, you know, safe. So he had already, in, in the physical realm, had learned how to battle so that when he got to these spiritual battles, he was ready for them, right? But he didn't get up to, to Goliath and say, yeah, the devil's working hard. You know, I don't know if I can beat this giant, you know. You know what he said? You're coming down. You're coming down. And he took responsibility for the promises that God gave him and did something with them. And that's what we get to do. We get, we get to follow God and trust his promises and trust his word and trust what he wants to do in our lives. And he does great things, right? Like, Pastor James, you're talking a lot and you ain't read one scripture. You're true. It's true. I didn't read one scripture, but I kind of hit you with a machine gun of them. So now, since you guys are asking, I'll go and try to be a real preacher. Okay? So I was reading in, um, I want to go to Job. Because, you know, sometimes it's good for us to know who our enemy is. Right? It's not always a bad thing. You know, when you go to war, you know what they do? They, they do war games, and they study, and they map thing, things out. Because they're like, well, we need to know how our enemy thinks. We need to know what he's going to do. Number one, our enemy's stupid. Because he had it made in heaven. Right? He had it made in heaven. And blew it. Another thing that, that I find is um, <clears throat> when Jesus was in the wilderness, right? The enemy, Satan, w- was, was, um, was quoting scripture to him. So that tells me that he knows scripture and he will use it against you and he will use it to twist and turn it uh, against you, right? In the wrong way, he'll distort it. That's what I say. That's why I always say when you take the scripture out of context, all you're left with is a con. When you take the text out of context, all you're left with is a con, right? And the enemy loves to do that. He's like, like I'm going to take, take the text out of this and watch what I'm going to do. I'm going to con you and, and show you. 
and there's enough truth in it that you drink it and think, oh, I'm refreshed, but it poisons you. Maybe it don't kill you right then, but it slowly poisons you till you get to a point where you're like, oh, well, what am I going to do, right? And I hate giving this message because I don't want to give him any credit whatsoever. I don't even like talking about him because he don't deserve words coming out of my mouth. But if we're not prepared, if we don't know the, what we're facing, then we don't know how to handle it, right? He knows the word enough to distort it. But here's the thing. He knows it, but he does not believe it. How many believers or Christians, we know what God says. We know what his word says. We know that it, we've been conned and deceived. Or, or we just, like the, like the children of Israel in the desert, just don't believe what he said. Maybe we don't trust his heart. Maybe we don't trust, maybe we've been hurt real bad and something went real, bad, real wrong. And then, then we're like, well, God, where, are you, where were you at? And now we're hurt and we're, we're broken and we're like, I can't go another step. And I'm not sure that I believe you. That's why Jesus said, man, if you just have the faith of a grain of mustard seed, you can say to this mountain. He goes, you don't need great faith. You just need a teeny bit. Remember the guy who came to him and said, Lord, heal my son. And he, he, he said, if only you'll believe. And he says, I don't believe. I don't. Help my unbelief. And you know what Jesus did? He said, go home, sucker. How, how could I do that? You don't have enough faith. No, do you know what he said? He healed him. He didn't need his faith. He just needed Jesus' faith. And that's all we need is just a little bit. But the end, Satan does not believe the word of God. Because if he did, he'd be turning around, buddy. He knows God's heart. But he's not. That tells me he's an idiot. Right? Hard-hearted. That's not smart, not wise. So I'm going to go to the book of Job. Job chapter 1. In the land of Uz, not Oz, Uz. There's land of Uz and Oz. There lived a man whose name was Job. I was needing help one time, and I went to this pastor, and I was like, Pastor, what do I do? And is, is there a scripture I can go to? And he said, yeah, I'll turn to the book of Job. It's <laughs> like, Ugh. Okay. The man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. I think that's really cool because seven means rest, and three means... Um, divine fullness and when you add that together that's 10 that's completeness that that's shalom that's he this dude had everything what god's saying is he had nothing missing nothing broken right 
And he owned several 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen and 500 donkeys. Now, like, no, their numerology and then it isn't, isn't Wayno, right? Isn't good, right? As cowboys would say, right? But there's numbers have meaning. And that's what, anytime you see certain numbers and and like like ten and five. There's a, in in Hebrew they break it down and it's called gematria, and and um, there's so much life that Jesus and God and and the Holy Spirit talk about through this word of God that we can find it. So so when we're we're looking through here, we're seeing, and you know what, all that stuff is just a counterfeit. God's the creator. Satan's just. A counterfeiter. So everything that God has, Satan's tried to, to counterfeit it because he ain't got no more ideals. Five hundred junk and, and a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all, all the people of the East. His sons used to, to take turns holding feasts in their homes. Anyway, um, I'm going to go on down. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also come with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming through the earth and going back and forth. The Bible says that he goes throughout the earth seeking whom he may devour. So that tells me that he doesn't have the authority to devour just everyone. Right? So he says, I've been going... Um, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth. And then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Man, God, that's not cool. Right? Can you imagine being Job? He's like, I'm so blessed. Like, he's got the birds and the butterflies swinging. He's got his little dress thing going and kicking and singing. And God's like, man, he's righteous and he's blessed. And he, he, he's like... The enemy's like, I can't find no one righteous. Watch this. He's righteous and he's blessed. Right? Here's another kicker that people hit in churches. Well, if you're blessed and if God's blessed you financially and blessed you in other things and you're not very spiritual and you're not very righteous, that's the biggest lie from the pit of hell. So here he is and, and he's like coming to Job and, and he's an he's a accuser. Right? He's accusing. And that's his job, right? And so, there is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns the devil. Does, does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and Herds are spread throughout the land, but stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely, surely curse you to your face. Now we're seeing shadows here too, because we see this with Jesus. We see he is complete, he's holy, he's righteous. And what happened to him on the cross? He took all the sins of us upon him. And you know what he didn't do? He didn't curse God. He didn't. He took it. And he said, Father, forgive them. 
for they know what, not what they do, right? And he's like, man, no one come here to take my life, but I freely give it, right? The devil didn't put him up there. Do you know what put him up there? Love. His love for us was greater than, than, than anything, so much so that he said, I'm going to die for you. I'm going to give my life for you. And God said, I'm going to give you my son, my only son, the son whom I love, so that you can have life and have life more abundantly. Right? So we have a hedge around us, and it's called the blood of the Lamb. So just like Job, and we don't have to go through this stuff just like that. Now listen, sometimes we go through stuff in this earth. We're going to go through hard times, but when we go through them, we can expect victory, and we can expect God's promises to, to be true and just, right? Man, I knew I got hit by a truck walking in a parking lot to get my hair cut. By a drunk driver, man. And I went flying through the air. And you know what? I didn't blame the devil. You know what I blamed? The drunk driver. Right? But he didn't know, right? And I went through a, several years of hell. Right? But God was faithful. And he brought me through. And just like he was for me, he will bring you through too. So, the, the Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has is in your hands, but on, on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out of, of the presence of the Lord. And then we see, see Job lose everything. He goes down to nothing, but you know what? He really wasn't down to nothing because he still had Jesus. I mean, still had God, right? So, you might have lost everything. Maybe you're listening there. Maybe everything's gone. Maybe everything's hopeless. Maybe everything's coming against you. But I want to tell you something. As long as you have God, you have more than enough. And you have everything you need. And he wants to do something great in your life and show off. And before this is over, you're going to have more than you had before. And that includes your health, too. So he loses everything, and then his friends all show up, and they're like, oh, we're just encouraging you. And do you know what they do? They put him down. They start taking things out of context, and then you can see the character uh, of Satan through this, right? We, we blame people. Jesus said, forgive them. They know no what. No, not what they do. We don't war against people. We war against principalities and powers. And right, he's like, don't blame people. Love people. Pray for people. Don't let people abuse you, but pray for them. Right. And so then we finally see that Job comes to the end of the book. God comes in and says, "Your friends are stupid. <laughs> All their advice is dumb." Listen to my advice, dude. You, no, you didn't do nothing bad to have this happen. In fact, it's just the opposite. And then he restores to him double what he had lost. And that's good news. That's a good story, right? Oh, man.
I love clocks. Thank you, Jesus, for clocks. Right? And then we go back to the Garden of Eden. And it says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say? Now watch this. It goes, The Lord God, the Lord God, the Lord God. And then it says in here, The Lord God. But then then, um, the serpent says, Did God? He didn't say, Say um, Yahweh, he only said Elohim, right? He can say creator, but he couldn't say Lord, right? Or maybe he didn't say Lord, right? But he, he, he has already taken it out of context. And then he says this, you must not eat from any tree in the garden. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden. But God did say, now she's repeating what he said. Because Yahweh is who he is. Elohim is what he did. And that's what happens to us when we get away from being who we are in Christ to doing. And here we're starting to see the fruit of that. Because now she's going from a mindset where she's not thinking of eating from the tree uh, of life. But she, now she's getting a mindset that where she's going to go back to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But God did say, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate. She also gave to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. You ever do that? Ever been there? Man, where you're like so broken and so ashamed. Like, man, I grew up in a really religious um, type atmosphere. And I hate religion. I learned a lot about Jesus too. But there's a lot of poison in religion. Because it comes down to a do, 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 do. And I realized at a young age I couldn't. And then you feel this shame and you feel this embarrassment and then it turns into hopelessness because like there's no way I can do this. But one day, Jesus come and he said, you know what, I didn't just come to free you from sin. I come to free you from religion. I come to free you from those works that you think you have to do to, to be saved. And I grew up thinking I'd miss a rapture if I messed up one time. Like, and there was a rapture all the time. Like, it could happen any minute. And it could. I'm not dissing that. What I'm saying is, we're not made to live in fear. 
God came for us to live in peace. And I don't want no part of religion. I want to live and walk in the grace and the peace and the goodness that Jesus has provided. I'm not eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil anymore because it brought death. But I'm eating from the tree of life. And my life comes from one source and his name is Yeshua. Name's Jesus, my Messiah, my, my, my Redeemer who has redeemed me from, from sin. The Bible says that he has made us overcomers through the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. For, for what? From, from, from the word of the... Man, I can't talk. I'm so excited. Like... By the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, he has redeemed us with his outstretched arms and he is bringing us into the promised land because he's that good. Amen? Amen. So, I didn't get through my message, but I got enough to go. And But really what, what it comes down is there's three things that will come by taking responsibility for our outcomes. Right? Because the enemy can accuse you And the enemy can tempt you, but he cannot make you do anything. So the choice comes, we have freedom, but with great freedom, we have responsibility. In whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And our freedom is not in doing, but it's in being. And not to return to a works a works mentality where we think we got to do something to keep our salvation, but a love relationship where we love Jesus with all our heart, with all our mind and all our soul, and then we love our neighbors too. And then we find we love ourselves. And now we're free, and we're walking in freedom. So that's the res- our responsibility is to rest in that. So it says we should labor to stay in that rest, in that place, eating from the tree of life. When we take responsibility for outcome, there's three things that happen. Number one, we we have creativity and innovation, right? God, God, just like, we, because we're not just thinking about, and with our own mind, we're thinking with his, right? Look at, look at Joseph, look at Daniel, look at some of the great men in the Bible. And um, even like, there's a dude named George Washington Carver. Anybody hear of him? Like, he's got a great story. He, he got all of his ideals from God, right? About a peanut, from a peanut, right? Number two, we keep living the dream. Say, well, how you doing, bud? Well, I'm living the dream. And usually they don't mean that, right? They're really not happy. You ask me, yeah, I am living the dream. I am blessed. Someone asked on Facebook from high school, what, what did you want to do when you were in high school? And I said, well, I wanted to, to be a marine biologist and train killer whales at, at SeaWorld, or I wanted to train horses and be a pastor. Hey, two out of three. <laughs> Not bad, right? And number three, the spirit of an overcomer we get because he gives us, the Bible says that we are overcomers by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And it says they love not their lives unto death. When, 
we don't have to worry about it because we're crucified with Christ. Therefore, we no longer live. And so now we're overcomers. So now in overcoming, we get two things. We get deliverance, which means he's redeemed us. He's taken it away. And then we get overcoming, which means victory, which means we get to possess the land. And then in Colossians 2, 5, I got to say this in 30 seconds or it'll bug me because I ain't going to. I ain't going to leave talking about him without talking about this. It says this. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave all our sins, having canceled the written code and its regulations that was against us, And that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross and having disarmed. Listen to this. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Amen? Good news. And I'm out of time. Thank you, Father, for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, check out our website at www.silverlakebaptist.org.